Welcome to the Investing for Life podcast, where we apply proven investment principles to the lives of successful business people to help you enrich your own. With your host, Douglas Isles. Hello, and welcome to the Investing for Life podcast. I'm Douglas Isles, and my goal is to help you, the listener, by encouraging my guests to unpack their successes using a framework modeled on Platinum's time-tested investment principles. We will explore temporary setbacks that shaped our guests. We will learn about the long-term steps they've taken to ensure they're on the right path, and we'll hear how they stand out from the crowd. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Elaine Grace, the CEO of the Actuaries Institute Australia, which is my own professional body. Elaine is passionate about building a strong, outward-looking profession that remains in high demand, and she was named in the AFR's 100 Women of Influence in 2019 in the public policy category, which is one of her passions. Elaine, I want to explore your journey through life and, and where better to start than as a child growing up in Ireland? What are your sort of earliest memories? Uh, well, first of all, thanks very much for inviting me into the podcast. It's lovely to uh, have a chat. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, in Ireland, it's funny, I guess one of my earliest memories is probably even just the radio being on all the time. And I think that says probably a lot about Ireland and possibly has generated my like into uh, public policy we always had a sense of just what was going on in the world, what people thought, different debates, um, liked chatting to people. Um, I similarly remember, it's funny, I, I emigrated to the UK uh, and I remember going, oh, it's, it's the same, but why does it feel so different? And when I went back to Ireland just for a visit, I was at a bus stop and the person beside me just started chatting away to me and I thought, oh, this is it. This doesn't happen elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, look, a lot of memories from Ireland. And I guess, um, you know, it's maybe only when you leave it, you realise how much it's influenced you. So the Irish are, are known for, for talking a lot. Um, I'll probably not get a word in edgeways today. But um, look, that, that public policy thing has, has kind of come through your life. There were some troubles, you know, in Ireland at that time, probably growing up. Do you think that was what was shaping the debate? Or was it something else? Was it the wider one? Is that probably something else I must admit the, the the troubles impacted less in Dublin in Ireland and that's where I grew up so I think it was more in some ways small country you know not necessarily that rich uh, you know I came from I, I was the first in my uh, family generation to go to university uh, so you know I think it's just exposure in some ways to poverty people emigrating was a big thing uh, so everybody, you know, everybody in Ireland had relatives that left and saw better lives in different countries uh, because we were a small country. We kept up with what was happening in other countries. Um, yeah. And that love. And having good chats in pubs on a Friday probably was a big thing as well. Yeah, there's certainly a good atmosphere in the, in the pubs in Dublin. Um, so you became an immigrant yourself. Was that something you always thought when you were growing up you would be, you'd be one of the people to leave Ireland? Not necessarily. So I certainly in university, I traveled. So, you know, I spent one summer in Europe. I spent one summer in America. So I was never afraid of traveling. But it was the recession that effectively forced me to go to the UK and find a job there. Um, yes. So, so, you know, it was funny. That was before the Celtic Tiger hit. So everybody remembers Ireland being this fantastic place. But that was before that hit. So, so you missed that. Um Okay, so that, that was probably one of the first first setbacks you would have faced, which is something we, we want to talk about today. Um, recession happened very early in your career? Yes. And you, let's talk about, I guess, you know, what, how that derailed you or what you, you know, what, what you had to change. 
Yeah, so look, typically from university, you apply to all of these big companies that take on graduate programs. And because of the recession, it was very simple. Nobody was hiring. They just put a stop on it. Um, my sister had been a few years older and she'd also experienced it. So I just wrote to all those companies in the UK. I think I gave a very little thought at the time. When I think about it, as a result of that, I never went back to Ireland and yeah. worked properly. So it was a huge thing. Uh, and I was young at the time. So, you know, that was that was it. I just went off, and you, got a place, stayed, and, and, and that was it. And, and you were an actuarial trainee at that point, were you? Was that the, was that the first job? So, no, I did uh, finance in university, uh, but I wanted to become an actuary really because I'm I have that curiosity, love to solve problems, you know, more of a logical brain. And I thought that would be a great profession for me. Uh, so, yeah, so I sought uh, jobs in that space. Okay. And um, how, how did that go, the, the exam process? They're quite difficult. I remember myself. <laughs> Yeah, so look, like, and in some ways, that was one of the reasons why I think I went for it. You know, I heard it was difficult and it was a challenge and I wanted to prove it and, you know, I could do it all of that. Uh, and look, I, you know, it was in the beginning, I did really well. I did, I think, you know, I think there's probably, I think there's around nine exams and the first six I just passed straight through, no problem. Um, and then I think I had my first fail. Oh, okay, this is what it's about, you know. Um but look, ultimately, I was going to prove them wrong, and I did it again. And I think I was one of those people, you know, who decided, okay, well, if the pass rates are so low, I'll take two of them because then there's more chance of me passing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so you know, I got through them uh, relatively easily after that. Like my, you know, I failed, I think, another, but that was fine. And, and look, I think it's all—it's a really good learning experience because I think the thing is, when things go wrong, you get some humility about you, don't you? And you get some empathy, and you realize you know everybody goes through difficult things sometimes it's um potentially as a result of yourself but sometimes you know it's just circumstances around you and you just need to move on um and i guess you also realize that other good paths can come from that so and, and i imagine you know the, the getting the grades you need to get to that it's very rare that you've failed before you take on such a challenging exam so school would probably have been quite easy for you yep yeah, yeah, it was fine, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that's a good experience. Okay, that's good. So let's think of, that sort of again, m more setbacks that you might have faced throughout your life. That's that's relatively early. As you, as you sort of developed and as, as your career um, expanded, can you think of some of the things that, that you've found to have been either more challenging or where you, you have had a sort of blow um, that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so I guess another thing then is I decided after probably working around four years in the UK that I wanted to go traveling. Uh, and so I just saved a whole load of money uh, and myself and boyfriend at the time then just went traveling for two years around Africa. So we basically got a one-way ticket to Kenya and spent two years eking the money out through Africa, India and Thailand and eventually ran out of money. Uh, and so decided to come to Australia because that's where we had friends living here and we thought, okay, well, we can stay with them. But I remember, so we arrived, I think, at the end of November 99. And, of course, Australia, Sydney closes down in December oh, and yeah. January. You can't get jobs. <laughs> like, everybody just goes on holiday. So I certainly had that feeling of a few months of, oh, no, unemployment. Am I going to be able to get a job? And it's amazing how quickly your confidence can go. Um, and then just having to get that back. And so, of course, then once you get a job again, you forget. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, it was all going to happen. But, you know, again, you have a lot of empathy for 
that period of time when people either take a change in life or get made redundant or just, you know, you need to be able to cope with that uncertainty and have enough confidence in yourself that you're going to get through it. Um, and so for me, that was a big point as well, I think, in my life. So two, two years is a, is, a, is a long time to travel. That's very fortunate. What were the highlights of that? Not, not many people get to do that. Oh, well, I, I've got a huge love of Africa. You know, I think with Africa, they really live in the moment and there's a lot of genuine happiness there. Uh, um, so I loved Africa. But I guess one of my highlights is uh, going to Mount Everest Space Camp. I'd never done any walking before that. Uh, and this lesson of don't look up to the top of the mountain, just one step at a time, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and you'll get there. Um, so that was fantastic uh, experience. That's a, that's a great, uh, great experience to have. I'm quite jealous, actually. Um, okay, so you found work in Sydney. Um, you had this passion for for public policy, so that that was where you you managed to find yourself. Yeah, so I, I got to Sydney. I did a. I got into consulting, and you know, I was enjoying it, but I was kind of feeling there was something missing, and. That's the point where, you know, you've got to embrace that uncomfortableness because you nearly have to cross a line before you go, no, actually, I need a change of direction here. Um, and at that point, I remember seeing a fantastic presentation from the United Nations Environment Programme Finance Initiatives. They were speaking to actuaries and I thought, wow, I can actually bring these two careers together. And from that, I got involved in doing papers for conferences like on sustainability research and this is like so back early 2000s you know what does ESG mean and how do you value biodiversity and, and really just exploring but as a result of that I was asked to chair a climate change working group and as a result of that I got my first opportunity in Insurance Australia Group looking at climate change from a risk perspective a product perspective rather than just a lot of the time that was in the kind of culture and reputation department, but we were genuinely looking at as, you know, as part of the business. And so that was a fantastic opportunity. And so that was looking at what, like how weather events would affect premiums, for example. Yeah, but it was also what we were doing was uh, we did a lot of great papers with other scientists and really it was more around public policy, speaking to government about be aware this risk is happening and it's actually going to impact corporate. It's going to impact business. It was also by talking to the community. It wasn't good enough for us to go 10 years later, go, oh, we knew there was a problem 10 years ago, but we didn't do anything about it. We're telling you now your area is exposed to flooding. So let's think about the mitigation we can have to actually solve this. So it's about kind of the adaptation, but also really giving a voice to the importance of reducing emissions to government and to other businesses to explain the impact that was going to have on them. And, and that impact, I mean, it's, it's funny because you, you're talking that sort of 15, 20 years ago, and now I guess it's front page news on, a, on an almost daily basis, but it's taken a long, time, a to, long to, time to gain momentum. So, I mean, that must be frustrating for you to have seen how long it's taken. Yeah, really frustrating. I remember at the time thinking of all these people who work for not-for-profits, not like, you know, the Australian Conservation Foundation, what a job, always trying to like get some change and it being so slow. I felt I was still in a corporate world, so there was kind of a mix. But I think, yeah, you've got to be really patient. I think you can get really disillusioned. Like, I mean, you know, you, at the time I remember thinking, why aren't these politicians leading? Why aren't these prime ministers leading? And since then, I guess we've seen three, maybe four prime ministers falling, failing, you know, uh, because of this cause alone. So it is, a. it's made me think, 
I guess, is, is it, um, I'm not sure whether it's Gandhi or somebody has a wonderful quote about, you know, you, you can't lead unless you've got followers. And so that's a really interesting question. How do you bring people along in the journey? And for somebody who believes so much in logic, that's great, but it's not enough yes. <laughs> at all. Yeah. You've got to reach to people's hearts and emotions and self-interest and uh, try and bring them along. So there's a really interesting thing there. There's the, the logic you talk about and, and the empathy. And I guess one of the challenges um, for someone like in the actuarial profession can be that you think you've solved a problem and it can be you know, beautiful solving a math problem or something, but at the end of the day, how do you get that across to the public or how do you get across to, to the stakeholders? And I guess it'd be interesting to know your own your own journey that because you talk about your your curiosity, your empathy, et cetera. How have you sort of married that through uh, through your career? Yeah, look, I think as you get older, you realize you do have to bring people more on the journey and hopefully you get more realization of thinking, well, where are they coming from? What are their triggers that will actually make this resonate with them? Um, it might be the most logical solution, but if it makes no sense from their perspective, it's just not going to get cut through. So I think more and more I've, I've just concentrated on that. And actually recently I've just completed a brilliant uh, design thinking course uh, in um, Harvard Business School. Yep. And that was wonderful because that is more focusing on the customer. And in this day as well around big data, we can forget actually just going back to basics and having an hour conversation with a person, seeing what it is that triggers them, their values, their broader perspective on life. Yeah. I've actually done a very similar course at, at Stanford. So we're following some, uh, following some <laughs> yeah. parallels here. But the thing I found interesting, that that whole concept of the of the empathy interview, the idea that the, if you like, the answer is is in the client. Yes. Not and, and maybe that's something for actuaries to to kind of think about and, and, and learn more about. Um, you are are a mother, so you you went through a period of obviously maternity leaves and so on, maternity leave and so on. I wouldn't call that specifically a, a setback, but but in terms of a career challenge, it's something that you know a lot of women feel, face and, and have to deal with. So how how did you go through that process and, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so it's definitely a career challenge. Uh... And one I think that we need to be open about. So I took some time off uh, for my first child. And by the time I went back to the organization, it had changed. So I was dealing with all the executives. The CEO had left. The other executives had left. It had been a changed uh, business. And it was much more back to business, less focus on areas like climate change. The thing that struck me at the time was, so, you know, you join these wonderful moms groups. I had amazing women, very, you know, uh, high achieving women, but they all struggled because what happened was they maybe came from a company, it had shifted, often redundancies are offered. People think that's a good idea, but then they can't get back. For me, I was really lucky because I had a, a good profession and I could go for loads of coffees with different people from all over yeah. and go, how's the market? What's happening? And that led me to some good opportunities, I think. And so from there, I joined a consulting firm. Um, but the same thing happened again in some ways. I had a second child, left that company. Um, and since then, you know, I, I have read some good books and they talk about one thing I guess I'd say to your um 
to your males or females who are planning to take some time off is, you know, they really recommend thinking about this a couple of years before you're going to have children and making sure you're in a company that's supportive and that will stick with you in the long run. Because if you do leave that company and then have to join a new company, those brownie points that you've built up, people going, no, she's a really good worker. We need to look after her. Or even going part time when then it's really difficult to make the same connections with people is difficult. So, you know, where it suits staying in the company where you've built that rapport with people and they understand how much you have to offer is really important because even if we come back part-time, we want to do meaningful work. We want to use our brains. And the challenge, I think, is how do you get part-time work to yeah. do that for people? And, and the profession obviously helped you being in that environment, but that's not something that most people can suddenly decide to join. So you step back to the to the company level and, and look yes. at the, the networks that, that you can build. It's all about networks still. Any, you know, and, and I guess it's keeping those LinkedIn strongs before you actually need them, right? Yes. And, you yeah, know, yeah, when yeah. you need them and making sure you are social and have different coffees with people. Yeah. It's all about Irish people talking in the uh, in the coffee shops <laughs> instead of the bars, which is uh, which is great. So, so you know, more recently, uh, running, a, running a profession through the, the COVID times, how, how has that been? Has that been a setback or has it been an opportunity? Yeah, I think it's been an opportunity. I think it's and so obviously how horrific, you know, COVID yeah. situation on the world. Let's just acknowledge that. Yes. Um, and it's, 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 um, yeah, I guess it's given us the opportunity to consider what are the most important things. And I think for me, the most important thing was ultimately our people. So that was the first thing, health and safety of our people and our workforce. And when I first hear you're kind of going, am I being too paranoid about this? Am I not? But with reflection, I'm so proud that that's what we did. We just completely looked after our people. They felt supported. Um, and I've got to say, I'm really proud that recently we've won a workplace award. Well done. Um, which is basically to say that I think our people feel um, engaged and effective 10% greater than industry on average. So that's that's why we've won the award. But it's really... It's empowering to think that the people who work with you um, really love their jobs, love the atmosphere. Life's too short. eh? You don't want people coming into work and hating their jobs. That's not a good place to be. And of course, some people don't fit and they've moved on. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's acknowledging that, but um, yeah, life's too short. It's really good. If everybody goes in with the right attitude, you know, try and do their best, uh, work for the same cause. Um, and and we're in a good place. So, 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 so I think that's really important. And I sorry, I should also, of course, talk about the great work the profession has done in using their skills. So so how do you bring the, how how do you bring that in the workplace? I find it you know that idea that you get everyone let's say well above industry in terms of how they feel about coming to work. Is it something you think you do as the leader, or is it something else? Where, where does it come from? I think I'm a little. I'm quite down to earth. Uh, It's funny. I remember um, when I worked for Insurance Australia Group, getting into the lift one time, and there was my corker, the CEO, picking up something from the floor, and going, "Oh, hi." You know. And another time, I think you know, uh, he had cancelled a meeting with me, and the first thing he said was, "Oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I had to postpone that meeting." And I really felt. You know, I, I'm someone small here and he's acknowledging these these moments. And I guess I've tried to do the same with my people. My door is always open and just really have one-to-one conversations with them. 
but also empower them to be a very effective organization. We're a small organization that leverages off a huge amount of volunteers. Yes. And therefore, people really need to be engaged and committed. And we try and reward people verbally, I guess, for, you know, what they've achieved, make them feel uh, proud of their achievements. Excellent. That's great. So we've spent a bit of time on setbacks. The other thing I really want to talk about is change and the, the idea that there is opportunity and change is something that we focus on as investors. But I'm interested in, you know, as you've gone through life, some of the changes you've made, apart from exceptionally long holidays, which I'm still jealous of, but <laughs> but some of, some of the changes you've made that, that you think are, are beneficial, have been beneficial to you and, and might be beneficial for other people to, to think about. So, so I guess the first one would have to be that point around, sometimes you just get that sense in you that you're not happy and you need to take that. Yes. And really think about it. So many of us, I think, just get caught up in our work and don't spend enough time thinking about us and our direction and what we want to do. And it's not easy. Everybody goes, oh, if only I was born with a passion. Or, But it's about taking, well, maybe it's like that Ever Space Camp story, taking small steps. Yes. If you start taking steps there, getting involved in groups, doing research, writing papers, writing an article, It'll help you get in a direction that will lead to more and more opportunities. And hopefully that will be a better place that suits your personality more. Um, but it's not easy. It feels uncomfortable. It feels like you're stepping off maybe the well-trodden path, but hopefully that brings you more delight in the long run. That's good. And, and that, that sort of, you know, when you learn something like that, was it, was it, was it Everest that taught you that or did you learn it in the workplace? Um, yeah, look, I think uh, part of it's your personality, but part of it is once you do it once, then it's easier yeah. the next time, and then yes. it's easier the next time. And then suddenly you've created an atmosphere where you're probably feeling you're not being true to yourself unless you do it. Yes, makes sense. So you talked about uh, learning design thinking at Harvard. Is that, is that again, something that's normal for you to, to, to go and do lots of courses, or was that another big leap off? Um, I would say COVID had possibly distracted me and I hadn't done enough <laughs> courses in the last couple of years. Yes. So it was really nice to, uh, and I'd, I'd done other things. For example, you know, I, I had a coach, uh, which was great as well to just talk through issues. Um, but yeah, look, it was really Oh, sorry, I've done the AICD director course as well, which is yep. fantastic. Yep. So yeah, look, it's really important to expose yourself to different learnings in the world and uh, things are advancing so much. But at the same time, I guess you can get so much these days from amazing TED Talks and um, you know, like Google this. Talks and podcasts <laughs> like this. So uh, keeping in touch is, is important. Cool. And what sort of changes are you, are you thinking about now, either professionally or, or personally, about, about the future from here? And obviously the world is changing quite, quite rapidly. So how, how are you thinking about that? So I think it's really important for us to seize the future we want, and that's part of the public policy interest, but the same with COVID. COVID has given us an opportunity to rethink how we do things. I think it's given more balance between people from all different locations. It's uh, enabled us to think about the importance between life and work. Hopefully it's enabled people to be more honest in work about what's going on at home. And no, you know, sometimes there are difficulties and we all need to embrace that. So I'm really committed to trying to think, how can we make this better? It's not going to be easier. It's much easier if you, everybody works from home or everybody works in the office. The hybrid will present difficulties, but I think we need to try and make it work. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting evolution as well because it's it's hard to make a 
to, to sort of policy thing. It's hard to make a policy statement and be too different from everybody else when you're in a competitive environment for for employees. So I'm, I'm really curious about how how the lead is taken and who you know how, how we how big a step any individual can make in that regard. So I think it'll be a very interesting uh, path to path to follow. Yeah. How, how far have you gone with it so far? Because I guess we're we're only just coming out of lockdown in Sydney. So yeah, so look, we're basically encouraging people, obviously, to come back to the office next year in a hybrid fashion. And the reason is because you know it's very easy as well for people to stay home, and I don't think that's healthy for them as well in their mind. You know, we need to have anchor days. We need to have days where people get together and build those relationships. So so it's a mix, but it's also acknowledging that some people have very long commutes and that sometimes seems like wasted time as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these um, these Irish coffee shops have been going when no one's been there to talk. It's going yes. a very, very <laughs> unusual period. So, Elaine, the thing I then sort of wanted to move to and, and one of the other areas that, that we sort of anchor our investment philosophy to very much is this idea of, of standing out from the crowd or or, or not more not following the crowd, I think, being being the important thing. So... You know, when we've got a flavor for, for, for your personality over, over the, the, the podcast so far, but really, you know, what is it you think of as your sort of unique, I don't hate to use the word selling points um, because that sounds too corporate, but, but what do you sort of think that, that you do deliberately to, to sort of be different? Yeah, uh, well, look, I, I think I generally have a, a quite a positive attitude in life. So I think that helps. Uh, I also, I guess, have an innate belief in my own judgment and where I come from. So that gives me confidence and strength. But I also have a very strong belief that no one's better than each other and that everybody has something to offer. So, you know, I recognize my strengths, but everybody has something. It's just a case of acknowledging it. And I guess that my other driving force is making sure I'm doing something that I believe is important. Because otherwise, kind of, there's no point. You know, you only have one life. And so it's really important to actually, well, and for me, that's, you know, I guess, making a better uh, a better society and, and dealing with that. But that can be in all sorts. You know, that's that could be making stronger companies to support the economy. But it's looking at the problems um, as they are in the world. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you're doing a, a fantastic job with that at the moment. What would be the... The the ten year plan, if you like, or the five year plan. What, I, what you, is there something left that you really want to put your flag on? Um, no. Look, I, I must admit, uh, I've, I'm typically one of those people who likes to enjoy what I do. That will create more journeys. So I'm very open to all sorts of opportunities. In that sense, I think it's just a case of opportunities lead to other opportunities to other journeys. I don't think I could have ever predicted where I got to, and so I don't necessarily want to predict where I'll be in five or ten years. But I guess I would say that you know the world has a lot of uh, interesting challenges at the moment, yep. and you know I'm happy just to contribute to those um, in whatever form uh, it takes me. That sounds great. I mean, it sounds like you are making a, you know a significant contribution at the moment, and I, I do like your your approach to life. Um, the the small steps lead you to um, yeah. all sorts of opportunities, and uh, you know all the way from uh, Ireland to uh, Australia has been a fantastic journey. So, Elaine, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it, and there's uh, some fantastic insights for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much for the conversation. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Investing for Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. For show notes from today's conversation, head to platinum.com.au.